Evolutionary.org podcast coming your way. Episode 503. Steve and the Mobster. How's it going, man? Good, fella. I love these. Let's hit it, man. Today we're doing our peptide series is going to continue. IGF-1 is one that we're doing today. Insulin-like growth factor. And it's an endocrine hormone produced in the liver. The production of IGF-1 is increasing the presence of growth hormone. There are many different types of cells in the body that are equipped with a receptor to accept IGF-1. So IGF-1 is a great protagonist at targeting tissues to spur cell-to-cell -cell communication and growth or in a more autocrine cell signaling process that facilitates cell division. So that's the official, that's the official Description of IGF-1. So why in the world would anyone ever take IGF-1? That's the question that a lot of people want to know. So it is a great, great peptide. And those of you out there who've been lucky enough to find legitimate IGF-1 know it's a great peptide. And you're willing to spend the money for it and go through the headache of mixing it, st storing it properly, and taking it just to see those results. So number one, it helps regulate fat for use as energy. So you're going to lose fat on it. A lot of guys out there on social media, a lot of pros, they use IGF-1 for this reason. It's a, it's a cheat. It's like a cheat code in a video game. Same thing. It's going to help you lose fat. It's going to help with anti-aging. As we get older, Obviously, our growth hormone goes down. If you listen to our last episode, we, we explained it. Your growth hormone starts cratering. And a lot of people now, with all the crap in our food and a crap in our water and our env environmental destruction that we've done, plastics in the ocean, you know, it's killing us. It's killing us. And that's why people have low testosterone levels at such a young age. You have low growth hormone levels at such a young age. And hence, they have low IGF-1 production at a young age. In IGF-1, you get cell reduction, your good cells, low levels of IGF-1 also have issues with lower brain cell regulation, heart failure, poor neuron function, muscle tissues breaking down. So anti-aging, you ever run into someone who's like 40 years old, but they look 60? Boom. That's a perfect example of someone yeah. who could have used IGF-1 over the past 20 years to help with anti-aging. Another thing it does really well, and this is why the big, the big pros use it, the guys who are 250, 300 use it, helps increase nutrient shuttling. And that is going to help you use that food that you eat, mobster, that food that you, those big meals, all that protein that these pros are eating. You see the videos online of Jay Cutler in the, in the supermarket, opening up the freezer at the supermarket, pulling out like five bags of fish, throwing it in his cart, going and grabbing like five things of steak, throwing it in his cart. You can't just eat all that food if you're a normal Joe, unless you're taking something like IGF-1, because IGF-1 is going to help your body actually use what you're eating and not waste it and not turn that all that food into stored fat or turn all that food into a major bowel problem where you're trying to shit it out the rest of the day. <laughs> so it's a must. It's a must increases regenerative functions of nerve tissues. Another thing it, it helps you with 
boosts the ability to cause hyperplasia in muscle cells to get more fuller muscles. So this is why guys who use IGF-1, they go back over and over for it. So uh, some of the guys we've had on the podcast we've interviewed over the years, they've talked about IGF-1, how much they love IGF-1. So this is one of the things, if you want to turn pro, if you want to compete, and you want to go up against people on stage, you're probably going to have to consider going with growth hormone and or IGF-1. So we're going to talk about the variants of IGF-1 in a second, but I'm going to bring in Mobster with his thoughts so far. Just a quick one, Steve. And in fact, it's a reference to hyperplasia. Hyperplasia, guys, uh, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, in experiments, they essentially tied weights to cats, and then they made the cats run away as fast as they possibly could with these weights attached to them. And then they did muscle biopsies in the thigh muscle of the cat. And what they found was that the high-intensity exercise vis-a-vis running away with weights tied to your ass caused muscle cell splitting, which meant you had an increase in muscle cells within the same size of muscle. So the argument is that they had this ability to run away with weights tied to them better than before. In the case of us being in the gym, guys, it's as simple as this. If we can cause, even to a low level, hyperplasia to happen with IGF-1 or indeed with growth hormones, Steve, then and we change our training, so we do a high-intensity type training and we force ourselves to go to crazy places with performance-enhancing drugs like IGF-1, and then we change that training to perhaps an easier style of training afterwards. We're doing it with more muscle cells, more muscle fibers than we had before. And that, guys, is an increase in the ability to contract the muscle. That means lift heavy weights, do more reps, but typically with a bigger muscle because you change the training to increase the size of the muscle fiber rather than the number of muscle fibers. It would be that perfect synchronicity, Steve, if you could do those two things together. And again, it's going to be a small amount. I would probably go for the other benefits over hyperplasia. But if you could make that happen, then then you're into that crazy, freaky, oh, my God, what have you been doing territory? And that's kind of like the, the magic that we're all looking for. Yeah, back to you. So there are a couple of variants of uh, IGF-1. So you have two groups. You have IGF-1, LR3, and DES, IGF-1. So IGF-1, DES is the way it is usually presented. So base IGF-1 has a very short half-life. We're talking 10, 20 minutes. So it's quickly destroyed by the body. And this is why IGF-1 is modified to make the amino acid analog IGF-1, LR3. So the other variant of IGF-1 is des IGF-1, and it is 10 times more potent than IGF-1. So both variants are similar to its root, but have different actions. So they can uh, they can function in specific ways. So let's start with the LR3. The LR3, you're talking about a half-life 20 to 30 hours, and it's going to be way more potent. And uh, since, you know, the half-life is about a day, it's going to circulate the body, you know, for, for, for a couple of days, I would say, binding the receptors and activating cell communication and improving muscle growth and fat loss. And the way LR3 works is it prevents glucose from entering the cell. So it forces the body to burn fat and not sucrose. So it's going to change the way your body burns energy. So you're also going to notice, you know, some other side effects when you switch your body like this, and we'll get into that in a second. 
Now, another reason a lot of guys like the LR3 for that long half-life mobster is the site is that you know you can um only you don't have to inject it so often. So you can basically just inject once a day with an IG with an insulin needle, uh very and really anywhere in your body, just don't obviously don't pin in, into a vein, obviously. And you're gonna get those benefits all throughout the day. Now, DS IGF one, it's a shorter version, and it it's five times more powerful than IGF LR3, and it's 10 times more powerful than IGF one. So the half-life though is 20 to 30 minutes. So you're not gonna get you know this long-term effect from injecting it. You're going to get where it's in and out. So with the with the DES, you want to inject it specifically near the area you want to see the muscle growth. Yeah. The LR3, you can just inject it anywhere. Usually guys will, will, will rotate you know, around their belly fat or you know, sometimes like if I'm doing peptides, I'll I'll pin in my shoulders, you know, I'll pull up, I'll pull up the fat, you know, anywhere I can grab some fat and pin, just pin it in there. Um, so with DES, you, you want to go ahead and pin as close to the muscle as possible. So you can stimulate muscle hyperplasia with uh, the, the DES. So um, you see these pros who really abuse the shit out of stuff. They'll pin the, the, the DES throughout their body. That's that's what they'll do. So um, another thing that DES can do is it binds to receptors that have the form by lactic acid. And that happens when you work out. When you're working out, you feel that burn, that's lactic acid. The lactic acid isn't the next day or two days later where, oh, I'm sore, I've got lactic acid in my muscles. No, it's during your workout when you feel that lactic acid, that burning feeling. So what happens is that DES will attach itself to that receptor and it'll signal tissue growth during your training. Wow. So you can use the DES before you work. So whatever muscles you're gonna work out that day, pin the DES in there. And you'll get those benefits while you train. So that's that's another secret that a lot of these pros use. So what do you think about that, Mobster? Sounds good, huh? I think so. I was thinking of a couple of things. One referencing something you said earlier on and one referencing what you're thinking about now. So you're discussing now. Earlier on, uh, Steve and I was talking about this on a previous show when we said the difference between bodybuilders of yesteryear versus now. And I even made the comment on, 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 a, on the last show to the effect of it would be great to see what professional bodybuilders of yesteryears would look like with the performance amounts and drugs. And IGF is a very good example, Steve, of a drug that didn't exist then that exists now. But what, something else, it was just one of those little tiny history lessons. I'm old enough and ugly enough and I've been around the game long enough that even if I didn't uh, uh, research IGF when I was aware of its existence and I was aware that it was being discussed in the magazines. And the reality was, guys, that 20 years ago, I think 20 years ago is about right, when it first came onto the scene, it was practically non-existent. And, of course, automatically it became supposedly, and I'm doing your rabbit ears there, Steve, available. And in reality, it didn't. It was incredibly hard to get hold of. It was incredibly expensive. A, a month's supply 20 years ago, and it was $1,000. And most of the guys that brought IGF-1 back in the day didn't get IGF-1. He wasn't even getting HGH. They were getting whatever the fuck the lab could put together. Uh, but it was an IGF-1. So honestly, I think maybe one in 10 customers that were buying an IGF-1 back in the day were getting it. Now, 
it's not only it's much easier to produce because the labs are set up for it. The guys, the, the labs, the lab techs have worked out how to produce it from the original product, and it's a lot, lot more available. So there's that. As you say, Steve, looking at the two things, and this is obviously where we, where we do this podcast and why we encourage you to do your own research and to double check the information that we give you. If you was making a choice, make sure you buy the one that the version of those that is appropriate. For the most part, in my mind, Steve, is going to be the longer acting version. The 20 to 30 year half life. But however, again, like Steve says, if you are a competing bodybuilder, if there's something specifically uh, wrong with your physique, like, you know, you've got great arms, great back, chest, et cetera, et cetera, but your shoulders just don't seem to respond, and that might even be something silly, a down to a receptor issue, then here's one of the few times, and I mean the few times, that we would actually recommend a site injection. But for the most part, most performance enhancing drugs are generalized. In other words, they affect the whole body. Here, in the case of one of these PEPFAD versions, is where you would want to make sure that you're using the right version to get some specific muscular growth or some specific site enhancement. So make sure you know which version you're getting. I would say that especially true, Steve, if they go on to a, 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 one of our approved sources or anywhere else for that matter, and they just buy a version of IGF without realizing that it's a short version or the long version. Guys, you need to know, so make sure that you do. Double check, re-listen to this podcast if you need to, and then use it in the appropriate manner. Back to you, Steve. All right, so let's kind of get or go over, first off, the differences you know, between IGF-1 and HGH, and we're talking about on the pre-show. Why would anyone pick IGF-1 over HGH? So remember that, Growth hormone does not directly cause muscle growth. It indirectly causes muscle growth. So you go on growth hormone, you could be on growth hormone six months and you're not going to blow up. Re- yeah. yeah, you're not going to notice much out of it. That's why a lot of people say, oh, you got to run growth hormone a year. You got to run growth hormone a year and a half because they don't understand what they're taking. Growth hormone isn't designed for that. Growth hormone, you've got to stack it with other things and you've got to eat a certain way. And you have to kind of time your meals and all this good stuff. Take it with insulin and all that stuff and take it with steroids. Just taking growth hormone by itself isn't going to do shit for you. Okay. Um, So, but IGF-1 is different. And also IGF-1 is cheaper than growth hormone. IGF-1 you can buy from a lot of different places because it's sold. It's kind of a gray area. Peptides, these types of peptides are kind of a gray area. But IGF-1 is more regulated than other peptides, it seems. So it's, it, it's, you know, you and then you've got the variants of the LR3 and the DES. So you can use them and be more flexible with them. So it's kind of go over to LR3 dosing. Um, a lot of people want to know how to take it. It's a million-dollar question. Now, there isn't like a set-in-stone way to take these. Um, a lot of people... Um, and you should do this. You should experiment with different ways of taking it and see which works best for you. But in one example, um, and this this you can kind of play around with it and be flexible with it. You can take it seven days a week, dose it 50 to 150 microgram a day, and you can kind of go from there and try to see what's going on. Now, with DES... You want to do the same dosage, but you want to do it before training most optimally, and you can do it multiple times a day. But let's say hypothetically you just want to do it before training. I would do it um, like 
I would I would honestly do it, like try to do it right maybe like 10, 15 minutes before your workout. So if you have a half hour drive to the gym, I would take like a little cooler with me and I would inject it like in my car. Just be careful that no one sees you doing it. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, yeah. So that's probably the best way to do it. And you want to inject it in the sites that you are going to be working out. And that's what, what you want to do. And, you know, it's not that easy to inject your calves or your biceps or some of these muscles. So you want to definitely use a slim pin and you want to, I would go with like a 31 gauge slim pin. Um, some guys are crazy and do 21 gauge, but it's not going to be a fun experience guys. So is it worth it to do that? You have to make that decision before you go ahead and purchase it. I mean, I don't know, mobster. I mean, uh, I've injected some muscles before and it hasn't been fun, even with a slim pen. So I was going to jump in here and something referred to a comment I made in a comment you made. I said it was expensive, but that was very true back in the day when it first came on the scene. It's a lot cheaper now. Regarding these kind of protocols, guys, here's my thought process. I would prefer, generally speaking, Steve, and unless you win the lottery, guys, in which case there are lottery winner stacks out there for you. I would prefer to go for a weak muscle, one that isn't responding. You're training it super hard. Your, your quads are coming up. Your back's coming up. Your chest is coming up. But for some reason, your delts aren't coming up. Then then here's a, a drug that I would go for. And, and and if it's a cheap way of using it, you're only hitting it when you're training your, your, your delts. Now, if you win the lottery, guys, if you've got that kind of disposable income, if you're out there smashing business on your Instagram profile, and you can afford to run this uh, longer term, and you can afford to run it. Then, yeah, if you don't, if you haven't got a problem, I certainly do. But if you haven't got a problem with frequent pinning, even with slim pins on a daily basis, then by all means, fill your boots and go for every muscle group. But again, I, I, if you're thinking you're going to turn into Superman when you was uh, Ant Man before, that's not going to happen. And like Steve said, you still got to train. You still got to have your nutrition on point. So, you know, if you've got an 18-inch arm and you don't go to the gym, you can inject this from now till doomsday and you're not going to turn it into a 20-inch arm. It works with what you do. The same as we discussed it in the previous show vis-a-vis -vis growth hormone, training and diet and rest and recovery and rehab and all that kind of stuff, and then introducing a peptide like IGF-1 is going to boost the results. It's going to boost your response. It's going to have the effects. So like Steve said, and as we mentioned earlier on, make sure you're using the right one. Generalized would be the 20 to 30 hour version, which is a whole body kind of experience versus the version where it's a much shorter half-life, 20 to 30 minutes. That's a site injection, as Steve said. And this is the case, and I will reiterate this, Steve. I know guys that have done site injections, and unless you're one of those guys with a mental disorder and you're injecting engine oil, I'm thinking of a couple of South American guys, one has just recently passed away, when you're putting motor oil or something, cooking oil or whatever the hell it is into your body and essentially ruining your muscles and causing yourself huge medical problems, most guys dislike, most users, men and women, dislike frequent site injections. However, sometimes you're driven, and especially if you're a competing bodybuilder, make sure you do it right. But it shouldn't be, and it never will be, a pleasant experience to I know, for example, I'm thinking of the bicep. Uh, and especially if you've got a, a smaller arm that you want to blow up, you're using a, a slim insulin pin size diameter, but sometimes you want a longer pin. 
So the trick for site injection is to get right into the middle of the muscle. Now, that is no fun whatsoever, Steve. It doesn't matter what you're injecting into it. To put the, the pin not just under the skin, not into the muscle, but right down into the middle of the muscle is a really – and that can be – if you screw up, if you flex, if you have a spasm while you're doing it, uh, if you put too much fluid in there, it's not a pleasant thing. So make sure that that's what you want to do. Make sure you get it right. There are some videos uh, on YouTube. There is advice on our forums. Make sure you do it properly. In fact, I would argue, Steve, if you can get a trusted uh, assistant, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, training buddy, and they know what they're doing, have them do it. And especially, for example, if we were talking about the delts again, Steve, the rear head of the delt or something like that, where you're looking to get that muscle just to fill in the gap in your physique. Well, that's what ultimately ends up with most guys that are looking to compete and they go and see a prep coach. What you're looking for is to fill in the gaps. And a peptide like IGF is going to help you fill in the gaps, especially the short acting version, the 20 to 30 minute version. So you want the, the gaps in your physique and it's going to be stuff like rear delts, hamstrings, etc. Those are where most people have the gaps. That's where something like this would produce the most benefit, the short acting version. And those are the muscles that are really difficult, even when you know what you're doing, for you to do yourself. So again, I would get someone else to do this for me. And I think sometimes having someone else make it for you, Steve, is much quicker, much easier, and a lot less faff with you doing it. But I'm not a fan of site injecting. Uh, I've got my particular sites I like to do when I'm using steroids. The idea that I've had to pin different muscles through my body on a daily basis is not something that I'd want to do. Maybe if I was a professional strength athlete and I was using IGF-1 to boost my recovery, like growth hormone, then I'd probably want to eject it as close as I possibly could to a damaged tendon. That would be even less fun than site injecting into a muscle. So keep that in mind, guys. Uh, needs must, and it's for you to decide if you need to, but site injecting and frequent site injecting is not as much fun as it sounds when you're saying it on a podcast. I'm laughing, but only because it's not me doing it, Steve. Back to you. So it depends on, you know, let's, let's discuss a little bit. It really depends on which HGH you go with. High-end yes. HGH, you know, is going to be, you know, probably more expensive than the, than the IGF. But yeah. low-end HGH, you're going to be paying more for IGF-1. So we're talking $80 to $90 per milligram is how much these cost. So you can do the math. If you're doing around 100 microgram a day, you know, I'm no, uh, you know, it's time stand. So 10 days worth, you're looking at about 80, 90, 80, 90 bucks. So are you willing to pay that, you know, for every 10 days, 80, 90 bucks? Is it worth it to you? So yeah. is that a lot of money? I guess it's not, but for some people it's not. But for some people, you know, hey, that's ridiculous. That's groceries, it's, you know, for the week. I'll jump back in here. It's, it's one of those, it, I would say this is like a polisher for me. So it's on top of everything else you're doing, guys. On its own, eighty to ninety dollars every ten days, as Steve said, that, that's that's like going to the supermarket and grabbing some shopping. But it's on top of everything else, so it's in addition. And for me, again, most of you guys listening to this podcast, ninety percent of you listening, will be the typical Joes that want to get in shape, go to the gym, want to get their muscles bigger, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, unless mummy and daddy are incredibly wealthy, and even even if they are, your requirements aren't that you need to fill in tiny gaps in your physique. Your requirements aren't that you need that last bit of polish. 
And therefore, your requirements will not be, unless you're competing and you're a high level and you're looking for a pro card and all those kind of things, it's going to come down to that kind of decision-making. If you've got this disposable income, give it a try. If you've got an injury that needs to be repaired, give it a try. If you've got a muscle that needs that little bit more than everything else because everything else is coming along, give it a try. However, it will still come on top of everything else. So that's your gym fees. That's your other supplements. It's on your other performance-enhancing drugs. This is not something you take before you do anything else. It's not something you take when you don't train. It's not something you use when your nutrition's shit, when you're, when you're up half the night playing video games at 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, uh, fighting with the guys you know in England on the internet. It's none of those things. It's after all those other things are in place. If your sleep's crap, forget it. If your nutrition's crap, forget it. If your training's awful, forget it. Get those other things and then the rest. This would not form for most of you listeners. Most of you will not be having this as a normal part of a cycle. Most of you are going to be using some sort of testosterone. You might use growth hormone, which has overall benefits above and beyond. But let's see, this is slightly more expensive in this example. It used to be the other way around. It's something that will come in at the end. On that basis, if you're competing and it's between you and the other guy, between the difference between first and second place and between the rear rear head of the delta, as I gave an example earlier on, being popping when it didn't used to pop and catching the judge's eye, then $80 every 10 days is going to be a bargain. But for most of you, you need to have all the other things in place and it will not be a drug you'll use before you've used a steroid, before you've used growth hormone, before you've thought about insulin. It'll be drug after that for those gaps, for that mining for just that little bit of extra polish. And literally, like I said, for some of you guys, those of you especially that compete, male and female, it's going to come down to the difference between first, second and third. Uh, And whether you're willing to go spend another 80 or $90 every 10 days just to tip up into the pro card, just to tip up into the pro, into the title, just to be looked at by sponsors, that kind of stuff, Steve. I think as you and I said in the the, the pre-show, Overall, my preference would be for growth hormone, but this is cheaper, but you're not getting the full benefits of growth hormone. You're getting specific benefits. And again, that's for you to decide, guys. Do you want the specific benefits of, for argument's sake, site enhancement, or do you want the overall benefits of something slightly more expensive like growth hormone? It's for you to decide. We give you the information. You make the decision. Back to you. You could just, you know, grab a month's worth and, and try yeah. it and see see yeah. how it works out for you. I mean, well, you know what I'm saying? What are you risking? You're risking, you know, 250 bucks for a month's worth. Yeah, try it. Yeah. And see, yeah. see, hey, does this stuff work for me or does it not? So, um, you know, and at the end of the day, side effects. Let's, let's go back to what I said earlier. The way it works in your body, it's going to give you hypoglycemia, you know, and uh, it's just normal. So you want to make sure that when you're taking it, you make sure that you are eating and don't eat crap, you know, eat high quality carbs, sweet potatoes, rice, fruit, high quality carbs, guys. Don't have, you know, I, I, I hate like these people that carry around like these sugar drinks, you know, these protein powders that are full of sugar <laughs> and they drink them. This is a mistake that even professionals are doing when they take IGF-1. You know, make sure you're taking good quality carbs. It makes a big difference. It's good for your gut. It's good for your health. You know, a sweet potato, how much nutrition is in a sweet potato versus how much nutrition is in dextrose or sucralose or any of these sweeteners that they add to these powders? 
you know, think about it. And then there's all these people that they'll, they'll get like juice, like the processed crap juice with like 30 grams of added sugar. And they'll drink that after taking IGF one. Why, why would you do that? Look, I'm all for, you know, being on the airing on a side of caution, have it just in case something goes wrong. You start sweating. You're like falling. You can't even, you know, stand upright because you're going hypoglycemic and you got the shakes really, really bad. Okay. In that situation, have it on hand just in case, but just to take it just, you know, at, you know, for the hell of it is doesn't make any sense. So try to eat clean, make sure you eat clean on this stuff. I would have a good meal before the yeah. gym, a good clean meal, maybe some eggs, maybe some fruit with the eggs, maybe a piece of unprocessed high quality bread, maybe a little bit of, 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 of uh, a pure raw honey. Okay. Something like that. A, a small meal like that. Then take it. If you're going to take it before your training and then go work out. And then after your workout, have a nut, a similar meal ready for you. Maybe some fruit, keep it in your cooler in your car, have some fruit. As soon as you leave, have maybe some, some brown rice before you leave. Brown rice doesn't, you know, I know brown rice cold doesn't taste that great, but it's not that bad. <laughs> that's what I would do. And that's going to keep the other side effect mobster before you bring I bring you in is cancer. We've yes. seen the, 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 the studies that show IGF-1 given to cancer patients blows up their cancer. So if you have existing cancer in your body yes. or you've had a history with cancer in your family or you've had a history of cancer, stay the hell away. Stay the hell away. It's not worth it. And we've seen bodybuilders do autopsies at a young age who have abused the shit out of IGF-1 and growth hormone. And when they did the autopsy, guess what they found? Cancer. So it will, it will blow up your cancer cells. That is the truth of it. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and try to bullshit you and tell you otherwise. So that is definitely the option. But on the flip side, low IGF one is also not safe either. So if you have low, poor IGF one levels and you want to take some IGF one and get it up, it can end up being a, a healthy, a healthy, uh, a healthy way to do. So, Mobster, give us your final thoughts and take us a disclaimer. Yeah, on the side effects, Steve, specifically, guys, and I'll reiterate what Steve just said, it's not the cause of cancer. Like the myostatin that we've discussed in a previous podcast, and specifically the last one when we were talking about growth hormone, when we said that myostatin is non-generalized right now, and so therefore it would affect all cells in the body, and that might include cancer cells. Well, IGF-1 works like that. It, it will enhance the, the way that your cells work and specifically if you've already got cancer it, there's a potential for to increase tumor size equally it won't in and of itself cause cancer and arguably igf1 is actually required by the body and i'll read from the article that we will stick to this podcast it regulates heart function works the works with the nervous system and in, uh, helps regulate brain cell stimulation so it's something that's pre-existing in your body like i said earlier on i'll reiterate it out again as a positive right guys make sure as always that everything else is in place your nutrition needs to be a point your rest of recovery needs to be on point your training needs to be in point again this is not a magic drug that works and you can just sit there and you'll get lean and muscles start popping out and your 18 inch up becomes 20 inch you need to put in the work however it will enhance the work it is steve and i discussed this in the pre-show it is kind of like a cheap growth hormone However, it's kind of more specific enhancement rather than more generalized enhancement. 
And if I had the choice, I'll say again, it would be growth hormone over IGF-1. If for no other reason that I don't have to do multiple pinning or as much and so on and so forth. However, you would be saving the money. But again, this is why we do this podcast. We want you to be informed. You get to make the choices. As always, please note, we are not doctors, and the opinions on these shows are hours and hours alone. It's our view, and it is based on our experience and views on the topic. Our podcast is for informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.